Hey, Life Canton. Roger here, uh, Director of Student and Adult Ministries, and I'm so glad that you're with us, whether you're a brand new listener or a returning one. If you are brand new, be sure to like, subscribe. You know I tell you that every week, but it really does uh, help our sermons and other things that we put out get out there, so be sure to do that. Uh, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. So glad for your continued support uh, and listening. Um, either way, uh, God's up to a lot at this church. And, uh, right now, we're in a series about revival where we're anticipating what God is going to do in the future and, and what he's up to now. So if you want to participate in that, there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, I'll give you two. Uh, first and foremost, you can uh, fill out a Connect card uh, where you'll give us, you know, name, uh, questions you may have and areas you're interested in. We'll reach back out and do our best to get you plugged into this community. We believe that you belong and we want you to experience belonging here. So fill out a Connect card so we can help you do that. Uh, another way is that you can participate in God's activity is by giving. Um, thank you to those of you who are already giving, especially those who are giving recurring gifts to support the mission of God at this church. Uh, I would encourage you to keep doing that. Your giving matters and your giving supports what God is up to here. Um, like I said, we're in a week two of a series on revival. We've been talking about what revival is and, and looking forward to revival as a church as we pray and fast during our 21 days of prayer. Uh, so you're hearing a week two of that message today with Pastor Jared, and he's going to talk about um, the Old and the New Testament and, and really teach us uh, some interesting ways that they connect to each other. Uh, so give that message a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a moment. You can all have a seat. Uh, that was powerful. That was good to sing together. Are you expectant of the move of God today? expectant of what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am glad to be with you. And if you are newer here and we haven't met yet, I'd maybe like to meet you out in the lobby after our gathering. If I don't get a chance to, that's okay. Please connect with us, though. And there's going to be a QR code on the screen that you can scan with your phone if you want to, and that's going to take you right to our Connect card. You can fill out some information about yourself, and that will let us know uh, to, to, to reach out to you and to help you take some next steps. Also, I want to let you know, uh, we have a, a, a Church Center app. Church Center app, you could search it on the App Store on your phone. And I want to encourage you to do this because uh, there's all kinds of information about our church, things that are coming up, but also things that are specific to this series that I'm going to draw your attention to as well. We are in a series called Revival. And for those of you who are a little bit newer to church, but maybe you have a certain connotation with that word revival, maybe it's a little weird or wacky, totally understand. I get that. We're going to try to break that down a little bit more in this series, but also be expectant of it. Last week, Nathan gave a message about revival, about bringing dead things back to life, and that involves repentance and forgiveness and confession and praying together. And so what we've been doing uh, throughout this month and will continue to do is uh, spending 21 days uh, of prayer and fasting, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We've done that before in January over the last couple of years, uh, but that's part of this series. We're intentionally taking time to pray and to fast and to listen uh, to hear what God has for us and how he might bring dead things back to life in us. Uh, because 
You all, we all came into this room probably with all kinds of chaos and confusion and maybe even some destructive things and brokenness in our lives. We need dead things brought back to life. And hopefully uh, that resonates with you as well as we continue to go throughout this series. So uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We hope that you will join us in that and all of the things that are surrounding that. Um, One of the messages, one of the verses actually that Nathan gave us last week was from the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, Joel. It's a very short book, but Joel gives this message of something that is about to come. In a sense, he doesn't use this word, but in a sense, revival is coming. There there is something that is on the way. And he says, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all people. If you do all of the complex study in the Hebrew and everything, all people, guess what it means? All people. It's super, I know it's super complicated, but all people. God wants to invite all people into what he is doing. And if you didn't notice it, we have uh, many different flags of all the, uh, several different countries around the world represented in this word to show what God is doing, not just here in us, but hopefully around the globe. And we want to be a part of that movement as well. But when he's pouring out his spirit on all people, he's inviting people uh, to see visions, to dream dreams, and to prophesy. In other words, to speak of the ways of God. And so that's what we're hoping will take place. And that happens in the Old Testament. And so we're waiting for revival to come. And then that comes in the New Testament. Sometimes there's a disconnect between those two areas. And we're not always sure what to do with that. uh, Specifically as it relates to us reading the Bible in the Old Testament versus in the New Testament. I spent about 10 years in student ministries. And oftentimes this was a question that students had. They were confused. They would read a little bit in the Old Testament, read a little bit in the New Testament. And they're like, it seems like there's two different gods. It seems like there's two different stories that are going on. And I'm really confused about that. And then as I started working with adults, the the same sentiment was shared. They were like, it seems like there's two different gods. There's a disconnect here. I don't understand how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. And the problem with that is if we get confused about God or, or disconnected from God, then it can cause confusion and disconnection among each other, among all of us. And then we want to give up on God and maybe even give up on each other, give up on the church and walk away altogether. And so what I want to do uh, with at least a little bit of today is try to bring some of that disconnect back into the fold again, make a connection if I can. So we are going to go into this idea that revival is not just coming, but now revival is here. And we're going to look at that in the New Testament. But before I do that, I want to give us some other context from the Old Testament and see if you can find a connection as well. For those of you who like to look ahead and be prepared, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 in just a second. If you have a Bible, you can go there. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to be looking at that together on the screens. But what I want to do for just a moment is I want to talk about an Old Testament story all the way back in the beginning of the book of Genesis. There's a story that's really obscure. It's one that maybe not a lot of people know, but there is a, it's a story within a grander story. And the grander story is one that maybe a little bit more of us are familiar with. It's the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. And there's this grand story about Noah and his family being set apart, being pulled apart, because everybody else has kind of gone uh, astray. They, they, are, they are giving into violence and evil and All of that brokenness and chaos has taken over the world. All of that destruction has taken over the world. And so God decides to send the waters to cleanse the earth. But he's going to sort of start over with Noah and his family. And so out of the middle of that story, 
it sort of pauses for a second, and then we get this seemingly random story that just shows up out of nowhere. And it's not about Noah at all. It's not about Noah's family. It's not about the flood. It's not about any of that. It's this random story. It's called the Tower of Babel. It's a really bizarre story. What happens is it talks about this group of people who uh, have become expert brick makers, and they decide together that they want to build a tower that is going to reach to the heavens. They want to get as high as possible, uh, physically, not in another way. Sorry, I know we're in Michigan and there's things that are legal. We won't talk about that. They want to get to the heavens, right? And so they're going to build this tower. And uh, the reason for that is because they think uh, two things are going to happen. They're going to be famous. They're going to be well-known. And they think that if they do this, that they won't be scattered, that they won't be separated as a people. In other words, what they want to do is they want to preserve their way of being. They want to preserve a sense of sameness, a fancy word we might use as homogeneity. They want to be all of the same. They want sameness for the sake of being famous. We could say it that way. And so they build this tower. Now, here's the thing. God says, nope, that's not cool. That's not going to happen. And what he does is he confuses their speech, their language. They can't understand each other anymore. And then he scatters them. They're confused and now they're divided and they're scattered. That's how the story ends. And then it goes right back into the story of Noah. And you're like, what was the point of all of that? What was the point of that story? It seems completely disconnected from everything else. It seems extremely random. What on earth is that story for? But if you begin to think about it just a little bit more, you've got this story within a story And within this particular mini-story, what's surrounding it is a story of destruction and chaos. But ultimately, that leads to divine redemption. It takes some time. But surrounded by all of this chaos, this story is about a group of people who thinks that they can escape and hide from all of the destruction and the chaos around them. And in the midst of their hiding, they want to preserve their culture, their monoculture, if you will, and remain together in their sameness so that they can be famous as they reach to the heavens. What's the point of that story? It might seem like there isn't one, because if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, it never really returns to that story again. And and so it seems like, I think that story has nothing to do with anything else until it does. And the story that I believe is the sequel, the story that we're going to read today. It's in Acts chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. What I'm going to do today is we're going to read through the story, but I'm going to break it up into parts so that we can just talk a little bit about each part. So we're just going to look at verse uh, verse 1 to start says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Stop for a moment. We'll talk about that word Pentecost. If you're newer to the church and don't necessarily know what that means, that's another word for a Jewish celebration that is taking place. It's a festival uh, uh, among many festivals that, that the Jewish people would celebrate. And you would go to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. Pentecost specifically was the festival of Shavuot, Shavuot. And it is a festival that celebrates the harvest of wheat. Harvest. I'm looking out into the crowd. I recognize I'm in Motor City. Maybe some of you like never took part in a harvest. I grew up in a farming community. Harvest is when you gather crops for the purpose of making food. Okay, I think you guys get it, right? This is what's happening. 
The harvest of wheat. This is what they're celebrating. That God has provided once again for them so now that they can have food to eat. And so that, that's what Pentecost is. And that's why they're there. They're there for a celebration. Uh, but what are they doing? Well, they're meeting together. What about? What are they talking about? Well, pretty good chance that they are praying, talking about Jesus. This happens right on the heels of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. To be in Jerusalem in the first century, just a a short time after the death and resurrection of Jesus, is a very risky thing for them to do, especially if they were known as followers of Jesus. Their lives were at great risk to themselves. It's very dangerous for them to be here. So, So they're probably just praying and waiting on God to, to show up, to maybe save them again. They're, they're a little unsure of what's going to happen because Jesus told them in some of his last words before he left, before he ascended to heaven, he said, wait on the Holy Spirit. So our sense is that that's what's happening. And notice they're meeting together, together. Oftentimes when we're afraid, when, we, uh, when we're uh, unsure of what's next, when we're uncertain, we isolate, we become divisive, or we become divided, and we go off by ourselves when we're afraid. But they come together. They meet together. They're not in isolation. They are together as they wait, as they pray. What happens next? Let's check out verse 2. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, if you're a little bit on the skeptical side, and I can relate, I tend to be a little bit more skeptical, like, okay, what's going on? Whenever we encounter moments in the scriptures where it's maybe just a little bit more supernatural, wait, a sound from heaven, like a mighty, mighty windstorm, like what, what is that all about? That seems a little weird. This is tend, tends to be where the skeptics kind of peel off a little bit. They're like, I don't understand that. I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't want to try to over-explain it or defend it to you, but I want to make it maybe just a little bit more invitational. First of all, just a really small thing, this word heaven, we use in a couple different contexts in the scriptures. Sometimes we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, or maybe you think about heaven as, oh, well, that's the place you go when you die. Uh, Other times in the scriptures, this word heaven is used simply as the word sky, the sky. So so it helps us understand just a little bit more of what's, what's happening. There's this sort of divine presence up in the sky, according to this ancient group of people. They would call it the heavens. And out of the heavens, this mighty windstorm comes down. And sometimes what skeptics do is we think about all of the science and the data, and we ask the questions, well, what happened? And how did it happen? And that's okay. I'm not asking you to disengage from the story based on maybe your more scientific brain. What I will do is ask you to add another question, not just the what and the how, but the why. Okay, why is this happening in the way that it's happening? And some of the other things that are going to happen later in the story. Why does this happen? And ask yourself this question. Could it be possible to believe that God wants to shake up nature to get my attention and to do something new? Are you willing to believe that God is willing to to go at great lengths to shake up nature even? to get your attention, and to do something new in us. Oftentimes throughout the both Old and New Testament, the Spirit is referred to as wind. 
his breath. Might this be the presence of the Spirit through a mighty windstorm filling the house where they're meeting as they pray, as they are unified together. Let's check out what happens next in verses 3 and 4. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, not just the room is present, but now they individually are present and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Who wants to be at an event like this? That that seems cool to me. Like some of you are like, I don't know, that's a little weird. You had me with the windstorm, but now they're just like speaking in random languages. I'm not so sure about that. I don't want any part of that. I think it's cool. See, I'm like jealous of people that can speak other languages. I wish I had multiple languages that I could speak. I'm stuck with English, so we're just going to go with it for now, okay? But here's the thing. As a student, uh, we were invited to take a a foreign language or a non-English speaking language. Any students in the room, you have to take a a, a non-English speaking language to learn. Well, here's the thing. I was such a non-conformist. I went against the grain. Everybody was taking Spanish. I was like, nope, I'm going to take German. You know, because everybody speaks German, right? Um, And then I go back to my hometown, and now it's like 30 to 40% Spanish-speaking. Like, everybody speaks Spanish now. And I'm like, oh, missed the boat. Being a nonconformist didn't work out well for me. And so I I get this FOMO because I can't speak Spanish. I don't really know much Spanish, and I wish I could. And, and it kind of bites me in the butt. But now more recently, I have even more FOMO because what happened uh, just last week is I got to introduce two people. A few weeks back, I met somebody who's one of our partners here. Her name is Norma, and she told me her story, and she grew up in Panama. She grew up speaking Spanish. And I'm like, Norma, you're not going to believe this, but I know another family that goes to this church. They're also from Panama. She's like, what? No way. That's completely random. How are two different people from Panama in a small church in Canton, Michigan? How is that possible? And I was like, next chance I get, I'm going to have you guys meet each other. What happened last week? They're both out in the lobby. There's a bunch of people standing around, and I'm talking to Nilda, who grew up in Panama. And I was like, Nilda, you're not going to believe this. There's another person I know. She's from Panama. She's over there. I want you to meet her. So I take Nilda over to Norma. I say, Nilda, meet Norma. And at that point, my part was done. I was done because they stood up and they immediately like embrace and they're laughing and they're talking in this most amazingly fast uh, Spanish as if they've known each other their entire lives. And I'm standing there on the outside like, what are you guys saying? Like, what, what, can, I, can I join in? And the only thing I can add is like, uh, do you know where the bathroom is? And I know where the bathroom is because I work here. Like, donde esta baños? Like, I, and I probably didn't even say it right just now. But like, that's all I can provide. And they're just going at it like just, it was like they knew each other. And there's this beauty in it. And there's this joy in it. And it drew me in. And I want to be a part of it. And I think about a moment like this. Like, what would that have been like? I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you read a story like this and you're like, that's, that's weird, that's creepy. Or maybe you're like, wow, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. I, I want to be a part of that. The only difference between what I experienced last week and what's going on here, Nilda and Norma grew up learning Spanish. And then eventually they learned English. These are things that they learned over time. This story is different. The Holy Spirit gave them this ability. 
These apostles, they didn't know all of these different languages. They didn't know what was happening. And at first glance, you might wonder, is this a repeat of Babel? Is this a repeat of that Old Testament story where now they're all confused and then they become divided? Or is God doing something different with this story? Because I want you to see how they respond. Let's continue on in verses five and six. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They come running. They don't run away. They run toward this activity, this commotion. Now, it's important to recognize just a couple things that are going on. These are devout Jews coming from other geographical nations as well as other ethnicities. So they're all the same in the sense of their religious understanding, but they're all very different in their geographical, their national understanding. It says that they were all living in Jerusalem at the time. Well, why? They were just living there temporarily because they were there for the festival, Shavuot. They were there to celebrate the harvest. So they're there, and then this happens. And I I got an, uh, an opportunity to go to Israel before several years back, and it's a compact city. There's lots of energy. There's lots of commotion. There's lots of noise. And on top of that, you think about when there's a festival in town, the population increases. So it's all the more loud. Above all of that commotion, these people heard from a distance their own languages being spoken by the believers up in this tiny little room. How loud must they have been? How expressive were they? Their voices are amplified in this moment. This is a a very loud, expressive culture as well. That's important for me to remember. Sometimes I put my own cultural lenses into the scriptures. And when I do that, I feel like I miss out. I feel like I miss a little bit of what the story is trying to tell me. Here's the thing. I grew up in a very small Northwest farming community, mostly white people, uh, very Dutch, very German. We're very passive and reserved and quiet, right? If I read that into the scriptures, I might miss what's going on. This is an expressive, vocal culture. And that's not to say that my culture is wrong and bad and their culture is right and better. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is that it seems that when the Holy Spirit takes over in a very much more now multicultural group, it amplifies the gifts and the voices of that culture. It increases the beauty and it draws others in. It's not some nationalistic pride that's happening here. Now it's inviting others in for the purpose of others' good. The voices are amplified. There's beauty here. It draws others in. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at these verses, verses 7 to 12. It says this, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, which to them is like some podunk northern part of Israel nobody knows about. They're uneducated. These people are from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, 
Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. There's a powerful move of God that's happening in this moment. Luke, the writer here, records all of the people groups that are present at this meeting as they're listening, as they're listening to what God has done from these Galileans who didn't probably know any other languages at the time. Here's the thing. I, I have listened to these messages, to messages about Pentecost a lot. I've grown up in church all my life. I've heard messages about Pentecost. And every time I get to this section where it lists out all of these geographical and uh, ethnic distinctions, what has happened almost every single time is the pastor has gotten to that point and says, here we are, Parthians, Mes, you know what, I can't pronounce all these names, but you guys get the idea, right? It was kind of a funny, innocuous thing at the time. But what I realized is that I was subtly learning that it was okay for me to not have to do the extra work to learn about other cultures. That because I was part of the dominant, the majority culture, that I could just, well, I can't pronounce that, so I'll just move on. Because it's easier for me to not have to do that. It's easier for me to, let me put it this way, to cling to Babel, to cling to my sameness, because it's too hard to have to go the extra mile to learn more about somebody else's culture. I can cling to my sameness. I can cling to my homogeneity. And throughout our history, this has been the case. Immigrants have come to this country and they've been strongly encouraged or maybe even required to change their names because it's too hard to pronounce. Or they've been encouraged or required to minimize their culture in order to assimilate to sameness. But this is church. This has never been the call of the church. Never been the call of God's kingdom. See, Luke is intentional in mentioning these names. I think for a couple of different reasons. And I think this as well. I think in light of Martin Luther King Day, which is happening tomorrow, I want to paraphrase just a little bit of what he had said, that it is important, it is imperative that we learn the language of the unheard. Learn the language of the oppressed. Why? Well, he's a preacher. He's a teacher. He recognizes that the very words on this page are written by those who were oppressed. And if I'm part of a dominant culture that doesn't experience that, then it is incumbent upon me to submit myself to a new way of learning so that I can see what God is doing and not see what I want to see but maybe have new lenses for what God is doing. See, Luke mentions all of these people groups because I think he wants to show that the motivation and the move of the Holy Spirit is to enhance the cultural, enhance the natural, and then usher in the supernatural for the sake of unity. Unity is not assimilation. Unity is not just sameness. The only thing that's the same is the God that they are making famous. Amen? And these are all Jews. 
So they all share the same religious distinction, but not necessarily the national distinction, the ethnic distinction. So it's safe to say that they would have known that story that I mentioned earlier. They would have known the story of Babel. They would have known the the story of a people group who is preserving their sameness for the sake of being famous, but they're not getting it yet. They're processing it. They say, what can this mean? They don't see the connection between the old and now the new. Processing it, what is happening? What does this moment mean? I think this is the sequel to Babel, where once there was confusion and then that led to division. Now there is clarity and it's leading to unity. Something much more beautiful. Think about this. Thousands of years on a festival that celebrates harvest, the gathering of what is ready to be used for good. God is now gathering these people, this small group of people together again, not to preserve their sameness, but through their differences, show how God is famous. This is new. But here's the thing, there's always a skeptic. Always a skeptic in the room or in the streets. Check out what happens in verse 13. It says this, But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk. That's all. They're just drunk. Really? I want to know what they're drinking, if that's the case. Here's the thing. I I get that there's always going to be a skeptic, but but even so, think about it this way. Uh, Just a little bit about me. I've met a pastor all my life, have made all the best decisions in my life. I've been drunk several times. I never went into Mandarin or Portuguese or anything like that. Like I didn't just start speaking some amazing language. Maybe I was drinking the wrong stuff. I don't know. Maybe you know something that I don't. Never happened for me. There's always a skeptic in the crowd. That, that's the thing that you came up with? Oh, what? man, they're speaking fluently in all of these other languages. Ah, they're drinking. That's what it is. That's the thing? Here's the thing. It is always easier to be skeptical about something new, supernatural, about the move of God, than it is to be trusting of it when it doesn't fit in our nice, neat categories. Don't step out of the story in moments like that. Step in. And instead of just asking the question, well, well what exactly is happening? Or how exactly is it happening? Um, those questions are fine. Also ask the question, yeah, but why? Why is this happening? And Peter wants to step forward and give a little bit of more context of what's going on. Peter steps forward in verse 14 with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Come on. That's comedic gold right there, Peter. Like, he was starting his comedy tour right here in the book of Acts. That's funny. And apparently the phrase, it's five o'clock somewhere, hadn't been invented yet. So Peter didn't know about that one. (laughs) But I guess this was universally known. You don't drink at nine o'clock in the morning. This is his reasoning. But then he goes on to say in verse 16, no, what you see, it was predicted long ago 
by the prophet Joel. And that's what we read last week. The Old Testament. Revival is coming. Several hundred years later, Peter says, essentially, revival's here. It's here. And he starts connecting the old and the new together. Starts giving them a new understanding about who God is through the person of Jesus. Starts inviting them into his resurrection life. And he preaches this entire sermon connecting the old and the new and eliminating the chaos and the confusion and understanding God in a much fuller sense. And we could say it was a revival because at the end of his preaching, a whole lot of people get baptized and 3,000 people join the church. Okay, you're clapping. Are we ready for 3,000 people to join our church? I'm open to it. I don't know where we're all going to sit. We'll figure it out. I want God to move. Not just because of the numbers. That's not what I'm concerned about. Because that then becomes about our fame, right? Oh, Life Canton's huge. They got 3,000. I don't care about that. It's not about our fame. It's about God's name. And about his fame. If that is our motivation, might we be submissive to the move of the Holy Spirit? Would we allow him to shake up the natural and to usher in the supernatural for his name's sake, for his fame? And here's how it all starts. With a small little group of people in a small room praying. A small group surrounded by all kinds of chaos and confusion and persecution risking their lives to be in Jerusalem, risking their lives to be together. They are together, not in isolation, but in community, waiting on God, praying. And out of it, this happens. I want us, Life Canton, to position ourselves in this same posture, to be expectant of the ushering in of the Holy Spirit, to recognize that God is drawing all cultures, all ethnicities together, and there's beauty in it. What do we need to do with that? I want to give you some action steps. First of all, let's talk about tongues for a second. I recognize the the speaking in tongues part of the story. I didn't go into a whole lot of detail uh, around that. And we could talk about that another day. But what I want you to do is I want you to take this for the rest of this week and, and learn a little bit more about it. It actually talks about tongues as well as another gift of the Holy Spirit called prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to encourage you to go and learn just a little bit more about that and begin to engage in conversations about tongues. Here's the thing. I recognize just in the same way that some of us have kind of a negative connotation with this word revival, Similarly, we can have a negative connotation with the word tongues or the concept of people speaking in tongues. Like, oh, that's, I don't know, that seems a little weird. That seems a little off. I understand why you might have some hesitation with that. I get that. But at the same time, this is a way that God chooses to move in a group of people. And he continues to do so in the modern world, in our world, in our church. 
There are people that I know in this church who have that gift of tongues. Now we can talk about tongues in a couple different ways. There's tongues that's like you're speaking another language and somebody else understands you. That's, that's one area, one way of talking about it. There's also another way of talking about tongues where people talk about sort of a, a unique prayer language for them that they sort of enter into this speaking when they're in their times with God. And in both cases, the, the goal, the purpose of that is to edify the body, to, 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 to build you up, to form your faith, but also to build up the church. That, that's what it's supposed to be meant for. Sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes revival and tongues and prophecy gets used for other means and becomes a little bit more destructive and becomes about the person who's doing those things that was never intended to be the case. These gifts that the Holy Spirit gives out is for the purpose of building up the church. It's not just about me. Encourage you. For those of you, and you know who you are, you know you have this gift of speaking in tongues, of a prayer language. I want to encourage you to pray and ask God how he might want you to use that to build up this church as well as the gift of prophecy. I'm not going to go too much more into that. I, I highly encourage you to take an opportunity this week, read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to learn more about those. But let's back it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are other gifts as well, other gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out on us to build up the church. Gifts of tongues and prophecy, not necessarily my gift. But when I was in high school, and when I was a freshman in high school, I went to a retreat. We talked about the Holy Spirit. And at this retreat, I prayed and I took this sort of assessment and I learned more about how God has wired me, even as a freshman in high school. Students, you're a part of this as well. You could do this as well. And what I learned about myself is that I had the spiritual gift of teaching and leadership. And at the time, I had no idea how I was going to do that. I had no idea what that was going to be used for. Fast forward to today. Here I am. And I get an opportunity to exercise the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given. God has given you a gift to build up the church. I want you to learn more about that. You can learn about it in 1 Corinthians 12. You can read that this week as well. Uh, you can also take Advance, which is one of our Life Journey courses. They talk about the spiritual gifts. And if you're on the Church Center app, you can go to that home section of the Church Center app, and a little bit down below, there's a button that says Spiritual Gifts List. You can click on that and learn about all of the spiritual gifts that are all needed. Every part of the body is needed to build up the body. Last thing, number three, is to gather. Don't give up meeting together. More specifically, tonight. If you didn't get a chance to come to our prayer night last week, there's another one tonight, and there will be another one next week as well. From 6.30 to 8, we are coming together. It is much more experiential, much more interactive. It's not just a talking head on stage the entire time. It is all of us joining together in prayer, beginning to dream, God, what do you want to do with our church? What do you want to do through us in our community? I encourage you to come if you can make it. And I believe we even have childcare tonight. Uh, so if that's precluding you from coming, uh, just know that that's available to you. Here's the thing. Pentecost, this event, I believe is the sequel to the babble of the story, to the confusion that moves 
to clarity, to the division that leads to unity, moving from Babel to bursting with joy. I want you to participate in that joy. I want you to be drawn in for the new things that God is doing. See, revival is in one sense bringing dead things back to life, but in another sense, it is a gathering. It is a harvest, harvesting together what can be used for others' good. Would you stand with me, please? For those of you who need that joy in the midst of your chaos, who need to be revived in a sense, because all of the broken things in your life make you feel dead inside, I believe that God wants to pour out his spirit on you and in you and bring about new life today. If that's something you want, would you pray with me today? God, as we recognize that your spirit is like breath, is like wind, God, would you move through this room like a rushing wind. Would you be the breath in our lungs as we breathe in your presence? And God, for those of us who are stepping out in faith today is to say, I, I want something new. God, I want you to show up in a new way because there's so many times where I'm confused. I don't understand what you're doing. And then sometimes I don't understand other people. But your role, your spirit's role is to guide us into all truth, to lead us to clarity and into freedom and into unity. So God, reveal to me how I might reclaim my identity in you. Show me something new. I will trust in you. Hey, welcome back. I just wanted to catch you before you go. Um, I hope you enjoyed that message. I really appreciated the way that uh, Jared showed uh, how unity connects to revival and how unity is, is a large part of revival. So I hope that gave you some things to think about uh, this week. I hope that uh, you find opportunities to celebrate uh, difference this week and and watch the ways that God uses difference to bring him glory and to even kickstart revivals. Uh, be on the lookout for those opportunities. Um, I also want to remind you that uh, Sunday, this Sunday night, uh, we will have a another 21 days of prayer prayer night uh they've been so good so far we've worshiped uh we've sang we've prayed together uh we've sat in god's presence so i would encourage you to come on out at 6 30 this sunday to participate in another one of those um like i said i hope that you see god on the move this week and see the opportunities to celebrate uh differentness different differentness nope that's not it uh celebrate our differences uh, and how they bring glory to god i uh, have a great week have a blessed week and we'll catch up with you real soon